morning, church. To the five of you that responded, have a great morning. To the rest of you, just a good one. I don't know. Uh, we have a lot to get through this morning. There's just a lot of great stuff to, to share with you that we can process together through the Word of God. So let's just jump right into it. This morning's message is entitled, Shaped to Serve. Shaped to Serve. As really, we live in a culture that's defined by the idea of me. Everything's about my way, my feelings, my thoughts, my desires, my joy. Everything is about me. When really, Jesus, when he came onto the scene, it really flipped it and made it more, not just a me culture, but but a we culture. And he has this way of regularly transforming our minds to flip our thinking and to have an impact for his eternal kingdom. And so this morning, I want to just wrestle with this tension of where really we've been challenged by culture to live me first, me centered. When Jesus preaches and exemplifies the idea of we and how we at the end of the day is so much of a stronger culture than a me culture. We're in our series entitled, What on Earth Am I Here For? And we've talked about this idea of purpose and how in week one we shared that purpose is discovered not when you meet expectations, but when you actually experience Jesus. Identity is not something simply you live for, but you live from, and that your purpose of being created in God, through Christ, receiving the gospel should drive us or push us forward into everyday life. And how really God has given us five purposes in our life that are foundational no matter what stage of life that you're in. Purpose number one is this, you were created for worship. worship. We're really, we're called to love the Lord your God or our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. We weren't just created to worship, but rather we were created worshiping. And so the question is not, do you worship, but whom or what do you worship? And then the following week, we talked about the idea of fellowship. How really fellowship is this idea of loving one another as Jesus has first loved us. And then we see uh, in the third purpose that we saw this last week was this idea of discipleship. Where really when you connect your story with God's story, it creates a greater story. And the greatest thing you can do on this earth is, is to invest in the next generation or invest in somebody through the love of Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to dive into the topic of what's described as your fourth purpose. And that is uh, this idea of ministry. Ministry. Where you have been shaped to serve. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark is a gospel writer, and he had direct interaction and connection with Jesus and the early apostles. And so he had this connection and, and, and compiled the stories. And here in chapter 10, we get an interesting account or an interesting story. The disciples, James and John, decided to ask something of Jesus. Since Jesus had asked plenty of them. Jesus called them out and said, hey, follow me. Follow me. And so these fishermen, they did. They were following Jesus. They were witnessing miracles. They were kind of organizing the crowds as they went. And so they reached the point here in the, in the gospel. They said, you know what? Jesus, we're going to ask something of you. We've, we've proven our loyalty. 
We don't ask for a lot, but we just ask one thing. And Jesus says, okay, what, what do you ask? He said, when, when you're in heaven, let us sit on the right and left side of your throne. See, they were thinking about position. They were thinking about power. They were thinking about reward. They said, hey, we've been your hype men here on earth. Right, we go on stage first. We're like, "Yo, crowd, what up? Hey, check this guy out." All right, Jesus, go feed him. Okay, and like, go like. So they were following around, and so they said, "Okay, Jesus, we're serving you, we're helping you. So the least you can do is just grant us the position of your friends, mind you. Just just let us sit, to save us a seat at the table, right next to you, ahead of the other disciples." Right. So when Jesus says, "You don't really understand what you're asking." says, you, you don't really know what you're asking. You don't know even what I came here for. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you going to be baptized with the way that I was baptized? He's, he's referring to ultimately he was going to die on the cross. He was foreshadowing his death. And he was giving a heads up to the disciples. They didn't get it. And they're like, yeah, whatever you say, Jesus, as long as we get this position, we're in. Well, there's 12 disciples and the others heard that the two had asked for position and they realized, man, they called shotgun first, right? I didn't realize that's how it works in heaven, that you just first want to go dips, right? And so like they, they were mad. They were mad either that they didn't ask Jesus first or they were mad that James and John thought that they were better than the other disciples. But either way, whether James and John were in the wrong for asking for position or the disciples were in the wrong for being mad that they weren't the ones to ask for position, Jesus just flat out says, look, you all have missed it completely. It is not about position. We pick up our story here in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him. So he says, gather together and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Now, if you have your Bible open, I want you to highlight this word for, beginning of verse 45, four, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here the disciples are jockeying for position. And if you picture, you know, the phrase jockeying for position, you picture a horse race and you have jockeys and they're on there going like they're going neck and neck and saying, no, oh, I want to be first. No, I want to be first. And they think it's this race and they want power. And they want the association of the name of Jesus and the recognition and the fame that comes with it. But Jesus says, no. <laughs> Do you understand the very people that are oppressing your brothers and sisters right now? See, let's highlight these passages here. He says, I want you to notice this, that people that have position and power right now are lording it over them. And that the great ones exercise authority over them. He was saying, look, you want the exact same thing that you're being persecuted for. 
Why do you want position and power when the ones who are persecuting you right now have those exact things? He's saying, I'm going to give you a kingdom that is so much greater than anything this position and power can give you. It says, but it shall not be with you. You will not be like the rulers who are persecuting the others. You will not be like the world. It says, no, instead you will be a servant and you will be a slave. And then I can picture the disciples saying, well, yeah, but nah, I don't know about that. And then Jesus gives the ultimate reasoning. He says, for, <laughs> since, therefore, because, says the son of man, that in and of itself is a loaded phrase, by the way. The son of man was seen as a prophetic declaration of divinity. So whoever claimed, took that title was claiming to be God. For even the son of man, referring to himself, even the savior, the Messiah, the creator and sustainer of the universe, even he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gives us the greatest argument for why we're called to serve others in entire scripture right here. Did you must you want to be great? Serve. You want to have power? Be considered a slave to all. For and here's the first reason, he says that God himself, Jesus is our example. So who who has more power than Jesus? Who has more position than Jesus? I'm going to go with the guy created the universe by speaking it. I'm going to trust those words. If you can speak the world into existence, I'm going to trust what you say. Is that fair? Right? So the same words, the same power that spoke all of the universe into existence is speaking now. And he says, even me, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So I am the example. And then number two, he says, and he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that didn't make sense at the time, but just a short time later, Jesus would go and die on the cross. This idea of atonement or, or paying the penalty for our sins. And then he rose again. This is why we celebrate Easter. And so not only just covering our sins, but conquering death. And he rose again to free us. Why? So that we could in turn serve others as Jesus served us. It's the greatest single argument in all of scripture for why we're called to serve and love one another. Jesus did it. It's the ultimate example. And then number two, your life is not your own. That's been paid for. Have you ever been at a restaurant where you ordered something? Or, or maybe it was a coffee shop and you ordered a drink and somebody tries to steal your drink or your meal? Have you, have you ever been there? You ordered something and they're like, okay, uh, venti whatever for, for John. 
and the person doesn't hear it and they go up and grab it real quick, what are you going to say? Whoa, 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 hold up. That's mine. I paid for that. I ordered that. Jesus paid for your soul, paid for your life. He freed you from eternal damnation and freed you to eternal presence and relationship with him in heaven. And so your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Well, what is the price of a human soul? A price is determined by what someone pays for it. Well, Jesus paid his life for you. So the question is, if Jesus was willing to die for you, are you willing to live for others? Jesus had all power, all position, but yet he took on the form of a servant. And then he said, I bought your life with mine so that you can now turn, do the same. So as a church, we have to stop fighting for position and start finding our posture. Stop fighting for position and start finding your posture, meaning take the form of humility, of a servant, of a slave, because our culture, everything that you hear is you gotta be the best, you gotta be the best, you got to rank the highest. You know, pretty soon the national rankings will be out as we, I love college football. You know, there's Ohio State and there's everybody else, okay? Come on now, we have, the, we have the in front of our name. I don't know why we felt the need to put the Ohio State in front like there's other ones out there. But, uh, but I, look, if you have the in front of your name, you must be the best college football team in the country. But pretty soon, everyone's going to argue for that position, and right, and everyone's going to be on pins and needles for the rankings come out. In the same way, the disciples are kind of having this argument when James and John ask for a position. Like, hey, Jesus, you know, when the disciple rankings come out, okay, just, just, just put us one and two, right? Maybe tie. We can tie one. One A, one B. I'm okay with that. Remember, Jesus, you're, you know, I'm the one whom you said that you love, right? That's how John refers to himself in his own gospel account. So just, so when the disciple rankings come out, just put us one, two. And even if it's not one, two, just make sure we're higher than our friends. Isn't that how we treat things? A lot of times that like your sin management or your spiritual life is kind of subjective to the people around you. Well, okay, maybe not you guys because you guys are super spiritual, but you know it's true in your kids, right? Your child gets in trouble. You try to confront them about, hey, what did you do at school? What's the first thing they say if it's not, I didn't do it? Well, they did this. They, uh, they're worse than I am. Like, we, we live in a subjective scale. We think, man, as long as I'm better than this person, I'm okay. And Jesus comes along and says, it is not about position. It is not about power. It is not about status. It is about your posture. Are you willing to humble yourselves before God? Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count 
equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And it goes on to say that he was obedient all the way to the cross. Then in Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes there in chapter 2, verse 10, famous verse, verse 8 is, for you've been saved by grace through faith. So you receive salvation. And so what's the next step? And it says, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Jesus himself was our example. Paul writes, this is why we were created so that we could serve and do good works to bring glory to his name. In fact, if you look, most of the letters that Paul wrote to churches in the New Testament start with some form of, I, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the preferred title that Paul wanted to share. Not one of position, but a posture of humility that I am called to serve him. I had a time that I remember as clear as day um, when this became real for me. I'd been in youth ministry for a number of years. I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was going through seminary and getting my master's degree and I uh, had wrote some curriculum with some friends that was getting published into a book. Our ministry was growing. I'm like, man, I'm pretty good. This is, this is I'm pretty awesome, I'm not gonna lie. You know, like I'm probably going to get a t-shirt that says most humble person. Some of you didn't get that. That's okay. He'll get it later. And I was like, man, this is great. It's awesome. I'm taking a group of, I took a group of students down to a mission camp. It's called world changers. I'm a world changer. Taking teens. They're going to be world changers. This is awesome. A couple weeks prior, I got to speak at a summer camp. I was the speaker as if that added anything to my value. And so I was feeling pretty good, right? Like the second night of the camp, we were there. First time I've ever been there. The basic premise was a bunch of churches get together and do all these kind of serve projects throughout the day. And then we gather at night and worship. So different denominations, different churches, people that never met before gather. It's a pretty cool experience. But early on, we we were there and and it was late one night and I, I got up to pray. Okay, actually it was the restroom, but it sounds more spiritual. So I got up to use the restroom in the middle of the night. It's probably like one in the morning. And I go, and there's only one bathroom for the guys. And, you know, again, most of this is church people I don't know. And so I, I walk in, and one of our leaders, we'll just say, was sick. Um, we'll say up, not down, if that makes sense. And uh, did not make it fully. Restroom. So I, I smelled it from the corner. I'm like, whoa. And I had that hesitated, are you okay? And clearly the person was not. I was like, well, I think I'm going to feel better now. Um, I got to go back to sleep, though. I'm like, okay. So he goes back to sleep because he was feeling sick. I'm there in a place I've never been. It's one in the morning. There's, we'll say, a mess there. All I have is, like, paper towels and, like, a thing of spray. I I can't contact any of the camp workers because, again, brand new to this camp. I'm not there. It's the only restroom for the guys, for like two, three hundred guys there. And so 
I'm sitting there, and my first thought was to pretend like I never woke up. Right? Some of you might have that thought, right? Like, you see a mess, you're like, yeah, nope, I'm, I, I didn't see it. And then the next morning, when everyone wake up, I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Wow. I can't believe. But, like, we were just preaching on serving. It was a mission camp. We were declaring our kids to be world changers and to serve like Jesus served. And I'm there one in the morning by myself, no accolades, nobody there. No one knows that I'm there faced with this mess and about to walk out. I almost sense this prayer thought of Jesus going, really? Really? Because this right here, this moment by yourself cleaning up a mess with nobody around. This is ministry. This is leadership. And I'm not going to pretend to tell you that like I started playing praise music and started dancing around as I cleaned up, but I worked my way through it. It was rough. I'll just put it that way. Okay. Next morning, not a single person knew that I did that. I didn't, I didn't share, and I didn't even share really with the group the rest of the time, and I don't typically share that story because, I'm, again, I'm not trying to make it about me, but I, I'm telling you this because it was in that moment that for one of the first times in my life, I recognized the power of the verse where Jesus said, no, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And if you want to be like me, you have to put everybody else first. And so years later, I remember that moment saying, man, I, well, I was tempted not to do that and how messy that was. Jesus came down in our mess. It says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were sinners, Christ came down and died for us. Do you ever stop to think that Jesus came to save the very people that put him on the cross? Jesus created and was sustaining their heartbeat and their breath and their flesh and their bones. He was sustaining the very people that pounded the nails into his hands. Before he went to the cross, he had a, a night with his disciples, seen as the Last Supper, and he got down and he washed the feet of his disciples. He said, if you want to serve, or if you, want, if you want to be great in this kingdom, it's not about grabbing trophies. It's about grabbing a towel and about having a posture of humility and putting others ahead of yourself. He said, for even the Son of Man came to serve. And we can do this because he died for us. He went so far so that we could trust him, that we can in turn be a blessing to others, that we can serve. That I've come to truly believe that one of the greatest titles you can have in this world is one of servant. And there's not a notoriety behind it, it but there's joy. I almost entitled this morning's message, There's Glory in the Grind. Because we like to follow everyone's Instagram stories and 
and viral posts and videos. But the problem is we are comparing other people's finishes to our starts. We are comparing our valleys to their mountaintops. And so we see an image or a picture like, man, my life's not like that. Be at the daily getting up, reading your Bible, praying to God, serving, investing in your marriage, investing in your kids, investing in your coworkers and your job, the emails, the meetings, the grind. Does it, does it, do you ever just wake up in the morning and you already feel frustrated before you even got out of bed? Like there are some people that are morning, people that wake up and it's like, hello, the sun is out, right? And then, and then there's the snooze button people. Those are my kind of people, right? If, if you've timed out how many times you can hit the snooze button before you have to get up, you're my kind of person, right? If you need at least two cups of coffee before you talk to a human being, I get you, okay? But sometimes there's not this glorious moment, but it's in the mundane. It's in the routine. It's in the rhythm where you build relationship and you serve and you put others' needs in front of your own. That you connect with God, that you are just, you have this joy that no one in the world can take away. You know, it's crazy how Christians look when the world is going after position and power and position and power and fame. And then Christians come in and you're like, you don't need it. Why? Because I have all the riches I need in Jesus Christ. I have access to the God who created the world, who gave his life for me. And if the creator and savior of the world was willing to wash feet and to serve and to love, then who am I not called to serve and to love? Therefore, when you enter a room, you don't have to enter a room trying to get something from people, but rather you can enter the room and give what Christ has already overflowed in your life. Sometimes I think Christians act like people do when there's a hurricane coming, right? Hurricane's coming, you gotta buy up all the water, gotta buy up all the bread, we gotta buy up everything, and they buy all the things, and the stores go empty. Why? Because they're like, oh, we better do it now. And as Christians, we kind of huddle up like, oh, we better get what we can now. It's like the apocalypse is coming. We're like, oh no. But yet, Christ says, no, don't live in fear. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And if you really want to find purpose in your life, it starts when you serve people. And when you find the posture of a servant and you love people the way that I loved you. You don't want money to control you? Give it away. You don't want power to control you? Use that as a platform to lift other people up. I think about all the people who just serve week in, week out here, who show up before seven o'clock in the morning to set up everything, to set up all the rooms and to, to prepare the curriculum and to prepare the music and the guest services experience and the people who are just every day 
I mean, I'm up here and you guys see me, but none of this happens without all the volunteers that give. And why do they do that? Because they do that so people can experience God on a personal level. I think there's blessing and there's joy in that. Well, what does it look like? Well, we're gonna actually give out this test on your way out so you can find where you can serve. And Rick Warren puts it as, uh, as a shape test, that everyone has a shape and that you have been shaped ultimately to serve God. And that shape stands for this. Shape stands for spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. You can have more than one, but everyone has at least one that God has gifted inside of you the ability to do something to bless the body. You have heart, which is the idea of what are you passionate about? You have your ability. What are skills that you bring to the table that others do not? You have your personality, the way that God wired you. And then you have your experiences, both good and bad. Everything from work to family to relationship to education to ministry, all of those things combined give a unique shape that then allows you to impact people to serve. And so we're gonna have, actually there's online, there's on your bulletin, there's a website called freeshapetest.com. If you wanna go online, you can fill that out and, and figure out, okay, how am I wired? Where can I serve? Where can I get plugged in? Uh, and we also had a paper version, kind of summarized paper version that you're, everyone in this room is gonna receive on your way out. But you've been shaped to serve. And then Rick Warren goes on to say that beyond this, that how do we serve? If we are called to serve, if we are called to have a posture of a servant, how can we look like Jesus? And he gives us four things. Number one, he says the first thing to be a servant is to be available. To be available. In Matthew 20, verse 30 to 32, there are two blind beggars who are calling out to Jesus as Jesus and the disciples are walking by. And the disciples kind of rebuke these beggars, say, no, 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 we don't have time for you. But Jesus in that moment actually stops and offers healing to them in that moment. You know, I battle busyness, and even if not busyness and stuff, busyness in my mind. I don't know if anybody else does that. Have you ever tried to lay your head down on the pillow at night and your mind's just going 1,000 miles a second? What, what is crazy to me is that Jesus, and I'm still walking through this and processing through this right now, if I'm just being transparent with you, that Jesus was running a universe, but yet never seemed hurried. Isn't that crazy? He was going to provide salvation for the world, but he had moment to stop. Never seemed hurried. How do we get there? He was available. Now, what are the barriers to being available? I think two things stop us from being available. Number one is self-centeredness. And number two, perfectionism. We think we have to have everything in line to serve or to give. 
Have you ever had this conversation of like, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough yet. I don't, I don't have enough together. I don't have this. I'm too busy. I, 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 one day I will. But there's a miraculous thing that happens in your heart when you go from one day to two day. When you move from one day, someday, if then, to a two day here now, okay, God, the answer is yes, just give me the question. Because you don't have to have everything together. You don't have to be perfect. That's what I love about scripture. Everyone in the Bible is messed up. It's awesome. (laughs) I used to read it and get depressed because it seems like everybody in the Bible is messed up. And I go, wait a second. If God can use them, God can use me. (laughs) It starts with being available. The second thing to serve like Jesus is to be grateful. To be grateful. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. It's really hard to be bitter and grateful at the same time. That when you are grateful for thanking God for what you have, you're more likely to approach situations with an open hand to give back. Now the barriers to being grateful though are comparison and wrong motives. Comparison and wrong motives. It's hard to be grateful when you're always pointing to somebody else who has more or pointing down to someone who has less. Everyone does this, don't they? In school, it's like I got a 90 on 91. How fast did you run? You you get 10 laps, I got 11, right? Oh, you got an iPhone 10, cool. iPhone 11, no big deal. It's right here, by the way, right? We naturally compare all the time. Parents, you don't, you don't want to do this, but we all do it, right? You ever compare kids? Not, not outwardly, but like you go into a public situation and you see something going down, you're like, not my kid. Or you're in a situation and like, These kids are like perfectly behaved and speaking in British accents and drinking tea and your kids are taking their clothes off screaming and running from you and you're like, really? I I don't know, I give up. Right? We do this in our jobs. We do this in our relationships. But yet if we were to stop comparing and start being grateful for where we are, I think God would bless us even more. And then puts us in a posture to serve. And then the wrong motives idea is the idea that sometimes people get into service because even that becomes an idol. It's like, yeah, I do serve. I'm pretty awesome. Right? They don't don't do that publicly because that's clearly wrong, but you get that in your heart a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, I am pretty good. That that was me in that moment when I was at the World Changers camp. (laughs) And I said, really? Okay, I'll give you some. Let's see if you're proud after that. So, oh, do you ever play uh, pickup baseball as a kid where you would have teams and who gets to go first and you have the bat and you know what you do with your hands? 
like here, 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 and then one on top gets to go first, right? Sometimes we approach life that way and we're like, wherever someone's hand is, we're like, oh yeah, right here. Okay, uh, oh, well, I went, no, I did this, right? And we immediately start going. But if we remove that, we remove the desire to compare, it's really freeing. It's been really freeing for me to enter a church plant where when we hear about a church that has more people or more baptisms or more services or more gifts or more things happen, to, instead of like, oh man, why not here? It's become, wow, that is awesome. When you can celebrate instead of compare, it frees you up to serve. Third, to serve like Jesus, you have to be faithful. Serve like Jesus, you have to be faithful. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the idea of really discipleship or faith is, is long obedience in the same direction. Now, the barriers to being faithful is distraction. Distraction and then ultimately delayed fruit. You ever committed to a diet and then like you worked really hard for two days and you're like, where's the results? I have a lifetime of poor choices. I've had two days of great choices. I don't know what's up. I give up, right? We either get distracted or we don't see the results right away. But I was reminded, it was interesting because early on in the church planting process, we were meeting, but we just had the same number every time. And we were doing ads and service projects and, and talking and we just kind of kept at the same pace, same pace. Every week, same group, every week. Or maybe different people, but same number every week. And then I was reminded, thinking about the idea of a growth, is that in order for a plant to grow, the initial growth is actually underground. Just because it's not visible doesn't mean that God is not working on you. And doesn't mean that you're not growing. So don't give up. The last thing to serve like Jesus is to be generous. To be generous. The beginning portion of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And that's that recognition that you cannot outgive God. Try it. It won't happen. <laughs> you very rarely find someone who is genuinely generous and angry, typically. You don't. It's interesting that people who give of their time, talents, and treasures and, and regularly give to other people actually seem to be the most content. <laughs> How can we serve like Jesus? Well, be available, be grateful, be faithful, and be generous. You've been shaped to serve. And that comes when we stop fighting for our position and we start finding our posture as Jesus was a servant. As the band comes up on stage, I want to just, uh, or the last thing here too with that is that 
the barriers to being generous are materialism and scarcity mindset. When you feel limited, you're hesitant to give away. But when you believe that Jesus is your source, then you recognize, yeah, I can give that away because I got plenty of more <laughs> coming. Okay. So what can we do? What can we do? Well, number one is if you're in this room this morning and you've never prayed to receive Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. And you can do that because he was willing to give his life to, for you. In a moment, I want you to pray along with me. But secondly, if you've received Jesus and you're wondering, okay, what's next? On the way out this morning, everyone's going to receive a shape test that you can take home and take, and we're going to discuss in our growth groups this week. But uh, just, just find out, how are you wired? Where might God be working on your heart to where you can jump in? And the last thing, step three, is just, just to start serving. Move from one day to two day. Everywhere from setup to tear down to kids ministry to guest services to tech to music to all kinds of things. God puts his people together as the body that brings glory to him and love to our community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you that you, you came to earth not to be served, but to serve. God, I thank you that you gave your life as a ransom for ours. And that because you served us, God, we can serve others. And may we not fight for position, but start finding our posture, one of love and of humility. I thank you for all those who serve on a weekly basis here at Mission Grove. And God, I pray for those who might not know you as Lord and Savior. May we just accept you now. God, we cannot make it to heaven on our own. We believe that you are Lord and that through dying on a cross and rising again, our sins are forgiven and we can have access to you and access to heaven and eternal life. And God, we commit this day to you. We ask that your spirit will work in this room right now. God, if someone is receiving you or trusting you or questioning about their next step, that they would mark that connection card and bring that to the guest service table or bring that to the offering box so that we can follow up with them. And God, when we take that shape, take our personality, our experiences, our abilities, our spiritual gifts, God, and when we give that to you and serve others because you first served us. Thank you for taking the posture of humility and giving us the example that we have been created to love others the way that you first loved us. Thank you for being our hope, God.